Um, my name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have not met me before, um, I've been here for quite a, a, couple, a few years, but yeah. Um, so if you've been with Revolve for an extended period of time, you know one of the things that we strongly emphasize and are committed to, as uh, Dave was leading worship, we are committed to reaching the nations where we faithfully pray for our mission partners, we faithfully give to them. We have sent teams to Czech Republic, Indonesia, Greece, in, even in New York City. Now, we don't just do these things because we may think that these things sound fun and adventurous, just traveling around the world, seeing new things. We do these things simply because it's commanded by Jesus to make disciples of all nations. We see Paul, right, who's one of the greatest missionaries to ever live. What does he do? He goes from place to place to place, sharing this gospel message. And he's committed to making disciples and those disciples making new disciples to where elders and deacons are, are put together and equipped and then churches are formed. And so with that being said, I wanted to share a statistic with you regarding unreached people groups. Now, when I say unreached people groups, it means that less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. And so there's, it's very rare that there's a Christian witness or maybe even a church established in these areas. And so currently, right now, there are three billion people that are considered unreached in the world today in 2021, where they've never heard the name Jesus. And if they have heard the name Jesus, it's a, it's a very, they have little to no understanding of who he is. They've never heard how much God loves them. They've never heard how they can have eternal life through Jesus. Now, many of you here have probably heard my testimony that it wasn't until I was about 21 years old until someone shared the gospel with me. 21 years old. Yes, I had heard the name Jesus, and yes, I had seen pictures, you know, on, on walls. You know, I've seen Jesus on a cross, but I had no idea what that actually meant. I didn't understand the significance of it. But once I started growing in my faith and really understanding what it meant to be a follower of Christ, I started asking myself the question, why did it take so long for somebody to tell me that in Cape May County, 200 churches are here? Why didn't anyone share with me? And if anything, it wasn't when, some, when someone shared with me, it wasn't here. It was in the state of Pennsylvania. And so one of my biggest fears that I see, not just in my own life, but in the church today is this idolatry with, with comfort, safety, and security. And so my goal today is to challenge you with a few questions that I believe are absolutely critical for us to answer as a church and as individual followers of Christ. And so the way we answer these questions will have significant bearing onto the extent to which we are an instrument in God's hand for his glory and the world. Now, I didn't make these questions up. They directly come from uh, the end of Luke chapter 9. So based on, these, on God's word, I want to put these questions before you. And listen, they're not easy questions to ask, and these are not easy questions to, to necessarily answer, but I do think these are questions that we must answer. 
And so before we go into the text, we're going to be looking at nine, uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. So if you have your, your Bibles, go ahead and open there. But before we, we go into the text, let's pray together. Father God, we just do commit this time to you. We pray that as we go through your word, you would just reveal yourself in such a real way. God, I pray that you would put away our own conceptions of who you are, but we would just read the text plainly. And God, that you would speak to us, that you would show us that you would be putting things specifically on our heart as we go in your word. And so, Father, I pray your name would be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're starting at Luke 9, 57 through 62. It says this. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are some pretty strong words from Jesus here. And so in regard to this passage, the first question I want to ask and put on the table is this. Are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? Are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? And the reason I ask that question is because the first man in this story is basically saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And in the Gospel of Mark, it's, it says that this man was a teacher of the law. It was customary for guys like this to sort of attach themselves to have a higher standing. And at this point, Jesus does have a following. And so we see this man, he's trying to advance himself. But Jesus replies, he says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if this man followed Jesus, he was not guaranteed to have a roof over his head. And so in this way, Jesus is making it crystal clear that Christianity is not a path to more comforts or higher status or greater ease in this world. And that the road of following Jesus is not paved with self-advancement. It actually starts with self-denial, picking up a cross. That's why we see a few verses in verse 23 Going back a few verses, it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself daily and follow me. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to kind of put yourselves in the shoes of these first century listeners who's hearing this message. This was not an appealing message to the crowds. The, cro the cross is a picture of death. And so dying to yourself is this initial invitation. So let me be clear here. Everything that we're talking about right now and everything that we're going to be talking about in this passage is, is not for mature followers of Christ. This is, the, this is initially what it means to follow Christ. And what I mean by that is to choose a cross over the comforts of this world. I want you to flip to Luke 10, verse 3. Luke 10, verse 3. Jesus says, Behold, 
I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Just in case you are wondering, a lamb doesn't go in the middle of wolves looking for comfort. A lamb goes into the middle of wolves expecting to lay down his life. Turn to Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. Luke 12, 15 through 21 says this. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And I give you a, a, a recipe for success in our world today. Our country says success is building up as much as you can. Just store it away for a rainy day. Enjoy all this world has to offer. Live your life to your fullest. Do whatever your heart pleases. That's what the world says is success today. But what does God say? Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Continuing in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 34, says this. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so listen, we can go on and on and on, passage through passage. But the call of Christ is clear. When Jesus says, follow me, it is not an invitation to pray a prayer. This was an invitation to give up your life to sell possessions, to give up the idol of safety and security, to love your neighbor, to take up your cross, to make Jesus king of your life, king of your life, not just someone who you go to when times get hard, but Jesus comes first in everything, in every aspect of our life. And so just a few weeks ago, uh, you guys may remember one of our mission partners was here. Uh, Kevin and Leilani, it was so awesome to have them here. And something that Kevin said, I will never, ever forget. It rocked me to my core. He said, in today's world, we have some believers crying out about injustice. We see it on the news. We see it on social media. And he said, I'm not saying they're not justified. But he said, what I do have a hard time understanding is why aren't followers of Jesus crying out about spiritual injustice. What does Kevin mean when he says spiritual injustice? He's referring to those who've never heard the gospel, who's never heard the name Jesus. Three 
1.2 billion people today in 2021 have never heard the good news of Christ. Church, that, that shouldn't sit right with us. That if we truly believe this is the word of God, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ died to rescue us from our sin and that it is the salvation for eternity, we should absolutely feel compelled to reach the nations. And so if we are not careful, we can create, like, create a very comfortable picture of Christianity where we live our entire Christian lives in this, these comfortable confines of uh, churchianity, all the while turning a blind eye to urgent spiritual injustice. And so what I want to do, I want you to just first take the nations away for a second. I want you to just think about the people in your social circle right now. I want you to be thinking about your neighbors. Does your neighbor know your name? Does your neighbor know that you are a follower of Jesus? Think about people in your own extended family. Have they heard the gospel? Have they heard the gospel? Listen, I'm not here to stand up here to, to guilt anybody in any way, but I stand up here because I, there was opportunities that I have missed. But I stand up here because there were people in our own county who've never heard the gospel. Guess what, guys? I was one of them. And so my question to you is, will you share this good news with them? Question number two, are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for mission? The reason I ask this question is because when we look at Luke 9 and verse 59 through 60, it says this. It says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, scholars debate on whether this man's father had died yet. Some believe that he was about to die. So he basically, this man wants to spend his last few days with his father and give him a proper burial, which is something he would want to do. And if anything, you know, that's an obligation that, you know, he's sort of expected to do. Then he would follow Jesus. And many of you here in this room have experienced the death of a loved one. And I couldn't imagine the following day or so meeting Jesus and him basically saying, let somebody else do the funeral. There are more important things to focus on. We see this in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus calls his first disciples. What do they do? They give up everything to follow him. They left their jobs. They left their income. They left the income that provided for their families. They left their family members. And so we can see that there is an urgency here. And so the question we have to ask is, what is so urgent? Read verse 60 with me. Luke 9, verse 60 says this, And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And I know I just did this earlier, but church, if we truly believe the Bible is the word of God and that salvation is through Christ, then we must desire, we should feel compelled to make this known to all people. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had listened to a podcast where a guy, David Platt, is one of my favorite preachers. Yes, I'm a fanboy. Don't make fun of me. Um, 
he was, he was in the Himalaya Mountains where in some of the most unreached uh, village, remote villages you can think of, and as they were approaching a few people, they had asked them, you know, what do you guys know about Jesus? And they responded with, who's that? They'd never heard his name. So as, as David Platt is kind of going through, sharing what he experienced, he's helping the listener understand this majestic beauty that he's around it with these snow-topped mountains and that they are surrounding him and his team as they hike from village to village. And everywhere they turn around, all they see is these unbelievable views that you can't see anywhere else in the world today. And he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, for the last 2,000 years, those mountains have been shouting the glory of God declaring his greatness, declaring his grandeur, but not for one second have those mountains said anything about what Jesus did on the cross. Mountains are silent about that. Why? Because that is a privilege reserved for you and me. That is a privilege reserved for you and me. We get to make the good news known to all people on how they can go from eternal death to eternal life, which reminds me of the passage in Romans 10, verses 14 through 15. It says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And so here's the question then. Why is it the case that not just a few people in some remote regions in the Himalayas that they've never heard, but why is it that there are over three billion people in the world today who have little to no knowledge of the gospel? Three billion people just like you and me, except they've never heard the good news of Jesus. How is that possible 2,000 years later? And I think one explanation for that is that the American church has settled for maintenance over the mission. Maintenance over the mission. What do I mean by that? That statistically speaking, churches spend 98% of their budget on buildings and programs. And while the mission field maybe gets 1% or 2%. Now, with that being said, I want you to hear me because I want to be super clear on this. I stand up here proud, and you might be saying, well, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Good job, Christian, but no. I am proud to be a part of a small local church who meets at a restaurant, who is committed to living out the gospel, where we live, work, and play, but also committed to reaching the nations. Being a part of a small local church in the year 2020, we were able to give over $140,000 to the nations. I don't, listen, I don't stand up here to brag. I stand up here to boast about our God and to how he has used ordinary people like us who can faithfully pray and give to the nations and go and make a, uh, an impact for the kingdom of God. And so it is a joy to serve this church alongside my fellow elders who have helped mold and shape not just me, but my family over the years. And so where am I going with all this? 
When my family first came here in Revolve in 2013, I specifically remember understanding what it truly meant to follow Jesus. Our hearts grew so much for the, lo for the love of the Lord, and our hearts grew so much for the lost, those who don't know Jesus. And our hearts grew for the nations. Why? Because so many of them don't know Jesus. And understanding that God has commanded us to take this gospel here in Cape May County to the ends of the earth. And so when we think of missions, we immediately think of just hopping on a plane and crossing an ocean. But there's this major trend that is happening right now around the world, unlike any other time before, where people are um, moving around the globe. And because of these global trends, mission leaders are kind of rethinking their strategies on how they can take the gospel to unreached people groups. And in God's divine nature, he has brought the nations here in our own backyard. What do I mean by that? What if I told you that right now there are over 120 nations, 52 unreached people groups, three hours up the road in Queens, New York? which is basically right outside of Manhattan, a population of two and a half million people, over 120,000 people from Bangladesh, 80,000 Punjabi Sikhs, 50,000 Egyptian Arabs, 14,000 Tibetans, Afghans, Koreans, Moroccans, the list goes on. And many of you know over a year and a half ago, we partnered with International Project. Uh, we sent a team there and, um, for uh, what they call Seed Week. And we also sent a team there this past March where Dina and Rick uh, also went. You were there to train for a few hours each morning. You spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the word, and then you go out in Queens, New York, one of the most diverse cities in the world today. And you go out evangelizing by sharing the gospel. Now, when my wife went on that first trip, she came back forever changed. She, when she came back, God naturally connected us with a few families that are there full time that are committed to reaching these nations. And for those who aren't familiar, International Project, they are an organization who is committed to planting churches through unreached people groups living outside their homeland. And statistically speaking, listen, this is very important, 46% of these internationals travel back to their homeland three times within their lifespan. And so, church, this is an opportunity for a movement of churches to be planted right in the city with the potential to reach the ends of the earth. And now, when I say a movement of churches, I'm not talking about big buildings and programs and paid staff. I'm talking about simple churches that meet in homes that are easily uh, reproduced. Bill and Dave, as they teach the hub, these are some of the things that they teach and talk about. And so typically, these are entire families that or a person's oikos or what we call a social circle, people coming to faith, and then another family or a group in the same neighborhood coming to Jesus. And you are equipping these new believers not to just hear the good news, but to share, help teach them to share and obey the good news with their own people. You see, it's much harder for me as a Caucasian male to try and reach 50,000 Egyptian Arabs. But if an Egyptian Arab household comes to faith, they can be equipped to reach their own people. And that is what International Project is committed to. Whew. 
And so with that being said, as Elena and I have networked with these families and have experienced Queens, um, after much time seeking the Lord in prayer and spending time with him, speaking with the elders, uh, we strongly, strongly feel like the Lord is leading us to go and join this work that God is doing, calling us to leave behind these idols that we hold so tightly to, that comfort, that security that we were just talking about. God has so clearly orchestrated this moment in our lives that we don't want to put our hand to the plow and look back, but instead we want to walk forward in confident obedience to storing up treasures for his glory and his kingdom, not our own. And so we believe that the Lord will go before us to raise enough support, financial support, to make this a reality for our family. And so the time frame is possibly, probably around October 1st. And so if the Lord provides even sooner, we will absolutely prayerfully consider that date. And so we are terrifyingly excited for this next new season, but yet we feel so blessed to be a part of a church family where we know will pray for us, will support, support us, and partner with us as God allows each of us to be a part of. And so over time, I will be sort of handing off a lot of my responsibilities here at Revolve, um, and student ministry will continue. There, we are praying about different opportunities as the Lord has put in front of us, but we will share more as th God makes those things clear. But uh, I'm going to go call Pastor Bill up here and have him close us out before I get even more emotional in front of everybody. Um, thank you guys for letting me share my heart. Um, I'd love to talk with you more individually on what this ministry looks like on the ground and, and pray about potentially partnering and things along those lines. So um, thank you guys. Uh, it was uh, really hard to write this um, without bawling my eyes out every time. So. So I want to um, kind of tie some of these things up for you guys as we wonder, as a congregation, where do we go from here? Um, as Christian was talking, a couple things came to my mind. This idea of mission over maintenance, right? Um, if you guys have, some of you are new to Revolve and you started coming during COVID, uh, you've never been through the hub. Um, some of you have been through the hub one time, and you don't really know what we were getting at. Some of you have been through the hub four times, and you started to get what we were getting at. Um, the important thing to realize is that this is this has always been the DNA of Revolve, um, and I'm not sure that everybody has maybe realized that, but this is the DNA of Revolve because this is the DNA of being a disciple. Um, as you think about it this way, Everyone is supposed to be involved with the mission. You know, when you think about a car, it has four wheels. If one of the wheels goes flat, the car stops moving. You know, you're, uh, who you are in Christ, your identity, your surrendering to Jesus is a wheel. You know, the fact that you're continuing to connect with God and abiding is a wheel. The fact that you're part of a, a, a Christian community called the church that encourages you and holds you accountable is a wheel. And the mission is a wheel. And if you pop any of those wheels, the car stops moving. And then you slip back into maintenance over mission. You know, it was in Acts chapter 2 during Pentecost that the early group of believers received 
people that God sent to them and told them the good news. It was those believers who received the good news that went back to their hometowns, bringing the gospel with them. It was in, that's why there was already a church in Rome, because of people who came during Pentecost. It was in Acts chapter 13 when the elders are praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit tells them to set aside and send Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. And so that's what they do. The church in Antioch acts as a missionary sending facility to mobilize missionaries and send them out. What am I getting at? From there, Paul goes and he goes from town to town, planting churches, and then he doubles back. And it says Paul returned through all the areas that he had gone appointing elders as he went, strengthening the church and reminding them that it is with many hardships they must enter the kingdom of God. The point is this. Some of us are called to receive and share the gospel. As we're going, we bring the gospel with us. There are those that we will send out. There are those that we will mobilize as ascending church. And then there are those that we will have the opportunity to catalyze, which is what Christian is talking about. If you have Bengalis come to faith or what you've know, you know that that's what, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's what we do when we go to Iraq or to Egypt or to Indonesia. We're doing catalytic coaching with local leaders. Acts 17 says that God appoints borders. So that people live where God appointed them to live, that they might turn to him and seek for him. The diaspora that's living in New York City, that's living in Chicago, that's living in Miami, that's living in Deerfield, Illinois. This is by God's sovereignty, by his providence, that they might find him, they might know him, they might be sent, and they might mobilize their own people. This is what we've always been about. This is an exciting opportunity for us as a church. When most are wondering how they can survive another year that we get to send out some of our best to engage more intentionally with the mission. For the Vances, I want you guys to know that we are committed to supporting them at 40% of their package of required funding. And so for those of you guys who say, I don't have a lot of money, I want you to know that any dollar that you give here, there's a portion of it that's going to support the Vances. Now, some of you might feel burdened by the Holy Spirit to support the Vances above and beyond what you already support the local church. And if that's the case, we'd encourage you to reach out to them and to sit down with them and to talk with them about how the Lord is leading you. And so maybe you'll take part in sending through prayer, sending through finances. Maybe some of you in a year or two will actually go. Maybe to New York City, maybe to somewhere else. Maybe this year as you're working at a restaurant, at your job, you will receive people from other nations so that you can preach the good news to them. And my final piece here is I want to talk to you Coast Guard families. I want to talk to you who are moving in the next year, and I know of at least three families that are moving. 
What if you viewed your moving as going instead? Coast Guard families, what if you viewed your time at Revolve as a time to be equipped and then sent? Those of you who are moving for work, what if you viewed your time here as a time to be equipped and sent? And maybe Revolve is simply that, not the biggest church, not the flashiest church, not a church with a book deal or a podcast, not a church where the pastor is really cool, but he's actually kind of socially awkward when you talk to him. But that's right. Touche, Mikey. But what if Revolve really is like Trayson? What if Revolve is a spiritual training center? And that's our role in this big thing. Just train people up and send them out. And so let's pray. I'm going to pray for the Vances. We're going to pray over them more officially when they are commissioned out. And so I'm just going to pray for them generally now. Father God, I rejoice that in your providence you have brought the Vances to us. I thank you that Gina and I went on the mission field and came back so that we would be able to encourage the local church to embrace the mission and building the kingdom of God over building their silly empires. Lord, we know that your hand is all over this. And we know that you will use this to form Christ's likeness in their family. And you will use this to bring the kingdom where they go. Because as we are going, we disciple nations, like it says in Matthew 28. And so, Father, we entrust them to you. You are a far more secure, far more reliable, far more powerful and trustworthy safety net than Revolve or Cape May County ever could be. And so we entrust them to the word and the spirit. I ask that you would provide for them miraculously so that they could be in New York City doing this work as quickly as possible because every day people are dying and going to hell. And so, Lord, I pray that you would burden hearts and that you would bless their efforts. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of their journey. God, we ask that this would be the beginning of just floodgates opening. Lord, with the McCumbers trying to go to Greece last year and the Vances now trying to go to New York, we pray that these two families would be a flashpoint of many, many people from Revolve realizing that they are sent as missionaries where they live, work, learn, and play, and potentially to other parts of the world. And so, Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.